Well, good morning. Uh, if you are came in after the morning announcements, just want to quickly let you know my name is Ike Unger. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we are continuing our series called Rooted. And uh, what we are doing in the series is we are studying the confession of faith of the Evangelical Mennonite Mission Conference, or the EMMC. It is a conference that we belong to as uh, Deer Run Church. And so a number of years ago, they put out the, con the revised uh, con confession of faith. And so what uh, we want to do is just spend the next few weeks going through this. So we've dedicated the month of uh, February and the month of March to, uh, to going through this and understanding these statements. If you do not have a copy of the Confession of Faith, you can find it on our website, uh, dearrun.church, or you can go to the back um, at Kim's desk. You can feel free to go and pick one up there, and we would love to have one of these in all your homes because I think it's a very important document for all of us to be able to turn to because obviously as we grow in our relationship and as we uh, interact with our culture and our community, uh, one of the things that will come up from time to time is what do you believe? And that's a fair question. Uh, you know, for those that don't follow Jesus or those that maybe um, see things differently, I think it is a fair question for them to ask us what we believe about these statements. And so um, I would encourage you to um, pick one up and to understand it as best as we can. The um, theme that we're going with with Rooted is going with the theme that we have for the year. And if you're like, well, that's a lot of themes. I am a theme guy. I like themes. And so what we've done for this year is we've said the theme for 2017 is for the sake of the world. And so all the themes that we're going to do throughout the year, the small little themes, they're going to fit into that because I think one of the challenges that all of us face, face and one of the misunderstandings that, that some of us sometimes have about the Christian faith or our journey with Jesus is this idea that when you give your life to Christ, you have now crossed over the finish line and all that's left to do now is to wait for him to come back and take you to heaven. And I believe the exact opposite is true. I believe that when we've given our lives to Christ, that we need to see this as a starting line. We need to see this now as the place where we are beginning, where we will live out our relationship that we have with Jesus. And I think that the reality is that all of us that are here experience that in some way from people before us. The people before us, they lived their relationship with Jesus in such a way, whether it was parents or a family member or a friend or, uh, you know, a pastor or whoever it may have been. But they lived their life in such a way that when you looked at them and when you saw what God had done in their hearts, it was attractive, it was appealing, it was something that didn't push you away from Jesus. And so because of that, when, when God came knocking on your heart and when the Holy Spirit was working within you to, to cause you to reflect and to think about your life, you were able to look at some of these people who went before you and maybe they shared the gospel with you. And as a result, you gave your life to Christ. And now it's our turn. Because if they had not done that for us, we would probably not know about Christ. And so now it's very important for us in 2017 and beyond to consider, for the sake of the world, I will live out my relationship with Jesus. For the sake of the world, I will, you know, do the things that God has called me to do. For the sake of the world, I will verbally share Jesus with others in my workplace or at my home or in my neighborhood or wherever it may be. So the whole idea behind the theme for the sake of the world is that we gave our lives to Jesus so that he could do something in us, not only for us, but also for the people that we come in contact with. 
So that is just a quick reminder again of the theme that we're going through. And I have to say, I am so impressed with our staff and I'm so impressed with different ministries here. I was with someone the other day and they were saying, you know what, this ministry that we do isn't really all that involved with people. But we had a meeting to talk about how we could take the theme for the year and put it into our ministry. And so I love the fact that all over this church, the different ministries are saying, how do we take this theme for the sake of the world? And, and it's so cool. Those of you just just picked up your kids from Sunday school, I think it's awesome that the theme for Sunday school is actually for the sake of your neighborhood. And I think it's wonderful because that's something the kids are going to really be able to understand. And, and how amazing that this curriculum that we, that we uh, use years ago probably written lines up perfectly with the theme for this year again i would call that a god moment and i think that is awesome so in the midst of all of this it's obviously then it's obvious then that we need to wrestle with the question so what do we believe what do we believe because if one person's out there saying this is what it means to be a follower of jesus or this is what it means about this and this is what we believe and another person is saying something very very different uh, that would create, you know, a conflict and that would not be a healthy thing. And so what we want to do in these next months or this ne next month and this month is examine these statements of faith in our conference uh, that our conference put out. So what do we believe about Revelation? Now, if you're thinking I'm talking about the book of Revelation, no, I'm talking about what do we believe about how, how God reveals himself to humanity? Because all of us need to understand today that we don't serve a God who is distant. We don't serve a God who is absent. We don't serve a God who, you know, said, follow me, and beyond that has given us no instructions. A God who said, you know, I want you to do these and these things, but never really explained himself. We don't understand what he's like. We serve a God who has revealed himself to us in a very, very clear way. And so what do we believe about how God has revealed himself to us, because I think the reality for all of us is this, that we don't see God. Because if you could see God at this very moment, uh, you wouldn't live to tell about it. Because in this state of our being, we are not holy enough to actually see God. We don't hear God. And if you talk to people who are like, oh, God spoke to me, very often what they're referring to is, you know, they're uh, through the Holy Spirit, but we don't necessarily hear God speaking to us in an audible voice. Sometimes we might say even, it was as clear as if I heard his voice. And that is the way God speaks to us at times. And so what we want to do this morning is wrestle with the question, how does God reveal himself to you and I today? So let's take a look at what our confession of faith says. Here it is. Revelation. We believe that the Bible is the inspired and the infallible word of God, the final authority for faith and life. God's revelation in the Old Testament through creation and the covenant was a preparation for the supreme revelation through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So simple statement, but let's unpack it a little bit and understand what this all means. When we talk about revelation, we are referring we are referring to how God reveals himself to us. And in theology language, there are two basic classifications for a revelation. Okay? The first one is, on the one hand, you have what is known as general revelation. General revelation is God's communication of himself to all persons at all times in all places. What this revelation says is that all people everywhere all the time 
have a general understanding, a general revelation of God in their lives. And I'll unpack that so you understand that better. General revelation refers to God's self-manifestation through nature, history, and the inner being of the human person. It's accessible to all persons at all times, and the content of the message is less particularized and detailed. In other words, you, in general revelation, you don't necessarily hear God telling you specifically what you should do. In general revelation, there's a general message to all humanity. God reveals himself to all person, people through creation, history, human nature. God's creative geniuses is revealed in, the creation, uh, in creation's intricate beauty. For example, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, plants, and animals, these all reflect the glory of God. So even just in the day-to-day -day things, in the way that you see nature, in the way that you feel and hear the wind, it's a way of God revealing himself to us in a very general way. Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. So although they are not speaking an audible language, look at what it says next. Yet their voices goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is, the bride, it is like a bridegroom coming out of his chambers, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes his circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived its warmth. So in this, the psalmist is saying that even though the wind, let's pick on the wind, even though the wind doesn't have a voice in the sense that it speaks to us audibly, it has a voice in the sense that we are aware of the fact that someone created it, someone caused this to happen. And when we experience wind, when we experience nature and some of these other things, we are aware of the fact that there is someone of higher being than us. And that is a way that God reveals himself to humanity. God also reveals himself and God's purposes can be discovered in history. The pattern of events in the lives of nations and individuals reveal that God is at work. For example, when you look at history, you will sometimes look at events and you'll look at you know, individuals and you would have to wrestle with why did they do what they did? How did that nation not get destroyed? How did that king accomplish that task? How were the people able to escape whatever situation it may be? And in history and through individuals, God reveals himself in a general way because very often the only explanation is there must be a higher being. Someone had to have caused this to happen. Now, as believers, as people who read the Bible, we would attribute that obviously and we should to God. But even for those who may not believe in a God, they would look and say, how did that happen? Why was it that this tragedy happened but ended right here? It's as if someone was protecting these people. And you hear comments like that throughout history because it's a way of God saying, I want you to understand that there is someone. I'm revealing myself to you so that you would know that there is someone higher than you 
that is in charge and in control. God's personal nature and moral principles are seen in people. By following the consciousness and the desire to worship, people experience glimpses of a holy God. People are created to worship. Think about that for a moment. Every tribe, every nation, every place you go in the world, and I can't say this with absolute truth, but as far as I know, they all have an inner desire to worship. Every single human being, there's something in them that seems to say, I need to worship. We have all been created with a desire to worship. And even in places, in the most remote places in the world, what you will see is individuals, no, they're not worshiping God, but they are worshiping. They may worship the sun, they may worship the moon, they may worship the wind, the weather, whatever it may be. But all of these people, there's something within them that says, I need to worship something beyond or higher than myself. And again, that is a way that God reveals himself in a general way to people and says, there is something beyond you. And so what we do then is when we connect those people, not to wind, not to the moon, not to those kind of things, but we connect them to the true God, very often what you will see is these individuals will very quickly surrender their lives because they knew in their heart that there was something they were missing. And again, that is a sense of God's general revelation to people. These events, um, you know, these moments, and even those people who have no desire or have no awareness um, of God at all, they have no desire to follow our God, but there is an awareness within them that there is something beyond them to worship. And such events, um, such revelations of God are widespread, and they are somewhat veiled in mystery. We don't understand them. But through the eyes of faith, we see an abundant evidence that God is pursuing a relationship with sinful human beings. I remember when I um, was planting trees in British Columbia, very often we would find ourselves, you know, we would be working on the foothills of these beautiful mountains. And, in, you know, about 10, 20 miles away, there would just be this beautiful display of these mountain peaks, you know, in early spring uh, they would still be covered with snow, and there would just be these majestic, you know, figures in the distance. Or sometimes we would find ourselves, you know, on these hills looking down into these ravines, and there would just be this nice, clear blue lake and beautiful ravine, and it would just be like this amazing valley. And it's just like, wow, what in the world is so beautiful? And there's a guy that I planted with, he, you know, he would always say this, show me God. And that was his favorite thing, show me God, you know, show me God and then I will believe. And I remember often thinking to myself, if you cannot see God in this, you know, but it was a different set of eyes looking. And for myself as a believer, when I saw what God had created, it was a way of him displaying his splendor and, and majesty. But for someone who chose not to see it that way, they, could, they would only see the beauty in the mountains and things like that. But God has revealed himself in a general way in those ways. Job chapter 12 verse 7 says this, But ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all of these do not know that the hand of the Lord, what the hand of the Lord has done? In his hand is the life of creation of every creature and the breath of all man of, of all mankind. So the, so the writer here is saying, 
Just ask nature. Ask nature and nature will tell you that there is a creator, that there is someone called a God who is to be worshiped. So that's general revelation on, uh, really quickly. On the other hand, you have what is called special revelation. Special revelation, this involves God's particular communications and manifestations of himself to a particular persons at particular times. Communication and manifestations are available only by consulting scriptures. Now, I use the word particular there a lot because we need to understand that what this is saying is, on the other hand, you have, you know, special revelation, which is God revealing himself to an individual at a very particular time with a very particular message. It is clearly meant for, at, for that moment. I'll give an example. Sometimes what happens is, you know, you're seeking God in something, and why is God not saying something? Why is God not revealing himself? You know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm searching, I'm praying, I'm seeking, and it just seems, you know, quiet, and all of a sudden, at the right time, the right word comes. And the truth is, if that word had come a day earlier even, you would not have understood its meaning. Because God had to speak at the right time, the right message to the right person in the right emotional setting even. And he is able to do that. That is what special revelation is. God revealing himself in a very particular, clear way to an individual. Now, the first thing we must understand is that when we talk about special revelation... Or God communicating a particular message to an individual, it must always be in line with Scripture. I'll say this, and some people may disagree with me. There are no new revelations. Okay? There are no new revelations. And if someone says, God has revealed himself to me and God has shown, him, shown me something that is not supported in Scripture, it's heresy. And the reason I say that is because if there are new revelations, then the word of God is not complete, and then the word of God is no longer the final authority, because if it is not complete, then there is new authority that is coming down from God. And so what we must understand that whenever God gives us a special revelation, it must always be in line with what Scripture teaches. And this is one of the easiest ways for us to discern whether what someone is hearing or what we are hearing, and whether it is truly from God, because God's word, um, revelation to us, will always be in support and in line with Scripture. Second Peter chapter um, one verse twenty says this: Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so it's clear there that whenever these prophets spoke in the Old Testament, they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit and they were speaking only the words that God gave them to say. So one of the things that you're often going to hear, and if you're new to church, you're going to hear us talk at times about the Word of God. You know, the Word of God says this, or the Word of God. Now, what we mean by that today often, you know, almost always is we are referring to Scripture. But sometimes in the Old Testament, if you would read it, it says the Word of God came to the prophet Isaiah. And what this literally means is that God spoke. 
that God spoke to Isaiah in a way that Isaiah was able to understand, or God spoke to a prophet, and today we have those words written down. So today when we talk about the word of God, we are referring to the Holy Scriptures, to the Bible. So God spoke, and creation burst forward from nothing. Genesis chapter 1, you know, God speaks in the beginning, you know, there was God, and when he speaks, let there be light, and let there be this, and let there be, and, and all of creation burst from nothing as a result of God's spoken word. God spoke and entered into a lasting covenant with Abraham and his descendants. God spoke, and the law was written to guide the people of Israel in their holy pursuit of, in their pursuit of holiness. God spoke, and the prophets declared with passion, passionate conviction what the, word, what the Lord said about justice, righteousness, and walking humbly with God. God spoke, and the Word became a living person, the supreme revelation of God, Jesus Christ. God spoke and offered direction to the early church through the apostles. God spoke of promise, judgment, and the hope of Christ's return in the future. And so all throughout history, you see how God spoke, and he spoke through different means. It's a way of God in a very special way revealing himself to us. Usually, though, like I said, when we today refer to God's, the, you know, the word of God, what we are referring to is to scripture. So I thought it would be appropriate that <clears throat> we would spend a little bit of time this morning looking at the historical timeline of the Bible. And so here is a very, very quick glimpse and a very condensed glimpse at the historical timeline of the Bible. In 1400 to 1500 BC, God wrote the Ten Commandments in ancient history, uh, Hebrew on stones. And this is with you know, Moses, and he wrote this in the Ten Commandments, and he gave them to Moses for the people. In 500 BC, the 39 books that make up the Old Testament were completed and preserved in Hebrew on scrolls. In first century A.D., the New Testament had been completed and was preserved in Greek on papyrus. In 393 A.D., the Synod of Hippo officially approved the New Testament for the entire church. And so now you have to recognize the New Testament was not available, had not been agreed to. And so the early, early church did not have the Bible. The early church in 200 A.D. even was not able to look at John chapter whatever or the, you know, the writings of Paul. They did not have these as a complete Bible at that time. And what's beautiful is how God continued, though, even though they did not have this complete word of God for them, that God was still able to grow the church and direct the church. In 500 A.D., the Bible had been translated into 500 different languages. In 600 A.D., the Bible was suddenly restricted to only Latin. This is a very dark age and a very dark time for the church. And so all other translations were considered illegal and you could be arrested for having uh, any translation other than Latin. And the reason for this was that there was a very dark um, period of the church. And so what the priests of the church did at that time is they were, this was their way of controlling the people. And so if only a handful of people could read Latin, and now you say to those people, the only way you can hear the word of God is in the Latin language, and we are the only ones who can speak and read that language. In other words, you have to come to us to hear the word of God. And unfortunately, one of the negative things of this was 
that the priest and the church leaders at that time would very often choose very carefully and very intentionally what they shared with the people, and they were able to often distort the message and in that way manipulate the people. And that is why from 400 to 1400 AD, this is a period that is known as the Dark Ages, because this was a very, very dark time for the church. And you would think that in the midst of this dark time, in the midst of the very people who should be sharing the word or restricting the word, you would think that that would kill off the message. That would kill off and destroy the Bible. But as we see all throughout history, God has a way of preserving his word. And in 500 to 1300 AD, there was a secret Bible society made up of what we call the Chaldees, um, who continued to study the word of God and preserve it. In 1380, John Wycliffe, often called the morning star of the Reformation, translated the Bible into English. In 1415, John Huss was burned at the stake for his stance for the Bible, and Wycliffe's Bibles were used to start the fire. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his famous 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, and in a sense it was often referred to as the knock that was heard around the world. In 1526, William Tyndale printed the first English Bible. Tyndale was incarcerated before he was strangled and burned at the stake. But before he died, Tyndale prayed, O Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And in 1539, King Henry VIII finally allowed and even funded the printing of the English Bible. Now that is a very condensed, you know, timeline. But I think that this gives us a beautiful glimpse of all the different individuals throughout history who laid down their lives so that the Bible and the Word of God would be preserved and carried forward. So here's just a few facts about the Bible. The Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world. No question about it. If any teacher ever tells you that such and such a book is, no. The Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world. The Bible is also the most shoplifted book in the history of the world. The Bible contains 66 books and contains 773,692 words. And one of the things that they used to do to make sure that the Bible was accurate, they would start from the end and read towards the beginning and start from the beginning and read towards the end. And they had to meet at a particular letter. And if they did not meet at that exact letter, then they knew that there was a mistake somewhere and the entire thing was destroyed. And this was back in the day when it was a little quicker, a little slower than copying and pasting onto a new document. The Bible takes the average person about 70 hours to read out loud. It was written by politicians, statesmen, farmers, shepherds, peasants, musicians, poets, and tax collectors. The Bible was written in the wilderness, in the dungeon, while traveling, in prison, and while in exile. The Bible was written in 13 different countries on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. The Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrews, Greek, and Aramaic. And the Bible is written over a span of 1,500 years, which brings up the beautiful um, awareness that here are these different individuals who would write, who have never met each other, individuals who never read each other's work, and yet they wrote and described God with such accuracy and such a common um, 
awareness of who God was. And I think that that is a beautiful, beautiful um, understanding for us that that consistency that was there, it was only possible because God had a hand in all of this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6 says this. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him and do not add to his word or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so if we believe that God reveals himself through the Bible, then we have to obviously wrestle with its authority. And we believe that the Bible is the only authoritative written word of God. Writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to faithfully record the words and the actions in creation, in Israel, and in, in Jesus, and in the early church. And these individuals, they revealed the, with accuracy what God was doing. And so the Bible is the only written authoritative word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But I believe that the most complete revelation or method of revelation, and special revelation, is the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus became flesh. The Son of God living on earth as a human. Fully God and fully man. Scriptures clearly state that God has spoken through his Son. And I think this is a beautiful thing that God spoke through his Son. And, you know, in the past you would see that God would speak through these different, different prophets. But the pinnacle of the act of God is to be found in the life of Jesus. The miracles, his death, the resurrection and redemption. When Jesus spoke, the words that he spoke were divine words. When the prophets spoke, they were bearing the message from God about God. When Jesus spoke, it was God himself speaking. The other beautiful thing about the incarnation of Jesus is the revelation also took place in the very perfection of Jesus' character. There was a godlikeness about him which could be discerned. Think about it. If we would have only had the written word, if we would have only had the words of the prophets, we would have had a glimpse, an idea of what God was like. But now when Jesus was on earth, we were actually able to discern his character. We were able to discern who he was. We, people could wrestle with him and understand him and, and ask questions and have dialogue. And, and by the things that he did, we were able to understand who our God is because Jesus is the Son of God. Here God was actually living among humans and displaying his attributes to them. Here revelation as an act and revelation as word come together. Jesus both spoke the Father's words and demonstrated the Father's attributes. He was the most complete revelation of God because he was God. And so when God spoke in the past and revealed himself through prophets, wonderful, wonderful. 
But the most beautiful thing that God did was send his son Jesus, not only to save humanity from sin, not only to come and die and rise from the dead, which is, and we don't have salvation without that. But how beautiful for God to say that I will place myself on earth so that my people can interact with me at their level to understand me. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And John echoes this in his second, um, in his, the first book of John. He says this, John chapter, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What a beautiful thing for John to say to us and for us to understand that when Jesus came, the word, the very word of God now suddenly was human, became a man so that we could understand God in a personal kind of way. So let's look really quickly again at our, our confession of faith. We believe that the Bible is the inspired and the infallible word of God, the final authority for faith and life. God's revelation in the Old Testament through creation and the covenant was a preparation okay, for the supreme revelation through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. God has revealed him to, to us, himself to us, and so the challenge for you and I today is how will we engage? How will we listen? And how will we, you know, read and hear what God has to say? The Bible was written to instruct and to inspire believers towards faithfulness. Its message is best interpreted in the context of community of faith. And this is, again, why it's so important for us to gather together like this because I'm sure you have been around people who have read the Bible and they have completely misunderstood it, but because they refuse to be accountable to a community of faith, they just run with it. And that's one of the things I love about preaching here is that there is a handful of individuals here. If I'm going to go way off on something, they will call me up and say in a very loving way, hey, I'm not sure you quite understood that the way you should. And it's a, way of account it's, a, it's a way of accountability, but it's also, more importantly, a way of making sure that what the Bible teaches we hold to, rather than running off on some, some uh, belief that is only inward. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps with the wicked or stand in the way of, uh, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in, the se in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. So this morning we've taken just a few, not a lot of time, but this morning we've just made a bit of an argument in saying that we believe that the word of God that God has revealed himself through his word, the Bible. So I'm going to call the worship team to come up as I wrap up. But I just want to leave us now with the challenge. Is if we believe this, if the argument that we've made is strong enough, and that if history proves what we've said this morning to be true, and if what we've seen in our own lives and if what we've seen in the lives of others of how the Bible has impacted people, then I trust that this morning that we would also be inspired then to spend time in the word and to spend time reading 
um, the Bible. I wish I could take time this morning to tell you some of the different stories of moments in my own office with individuals who will come in and they will say, you know, I, we just don't know where to go with her, with what's going on. We have no hope. We have no, you know, we just, we're just stuck. And there's discouragement and there's this hopelessness and there's this anxiety. And so many times you open up the Bible and you start to read. And all of a sudden what you see in these individuals, there's peace. I should tell you of other times where people who have told me that I was so against God and I was so against the church and I couldn't even stand the pastors and, and whatever it may be. And then I found myself in this place in my life where I hit rock bottom. And I opened my Bible and I started to read. And those words became alive. And I was so convicted. We could probably spend a lot of time making that kind of an argument for the truth of the fact that the Bible is truly the Word of God. So this morning I challenge you to consider the challenge of not reading. Hope you follow me. Every single one of you today will be challenged to not read this thing. Something is going to come up today. Something's going to come up tomorrow. Someone's going to be sick. Something's going to be on TV. Schedule is going to say like, no, 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 go, go, go. Don't read this. There's going to be a challenge for every single one of you to not read this today, tomorrow, the rest of the week. So I want to challenge you to challenge the challenge. We need to say this is something I must spend time in, and I'm as guilty as any of you. This is the thing in my life that I find easy to put away. I'll do it later. But if this is the word of God, then challenge the, the challenge that's going to challenge you to not read this thing. I have no idea if that works, but we're going to go with it. All right? You're looking at me like, oh, that doesn't work. That's okay. I think you get what I'm trying to say. Every single one of you here today, if you have access to this, you need to understand that the very word of God wants to speak to you. God himself wants to reveal himself to you through the pages of the Bible. So would we open it then? We would spend time in it. Because here's what we know is God's a good father. And I don't know how you parents do it, but when we leave instructions for our kids, one of the things that we will almost always do in some way is we'll say something like, hey, welcome home. We love you. We're proud of you. Here's a list of chores you're supposed to do. So one of the things that we do to our kids is we don't just tell them, here's what we want you to do. One of the things that we like to do is we like to tell them a little bit about how we feel about them. Because we're good parents. We don't want our kids only to be aware of what they're supposed to do. We want them to be also aware of how we feel about them. And the same is true with God. This isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. This is a revelation of who God is and how much he loves you. So let's read it and let's experience his goodness. Amen.